welcome. We just want to welcome you this morning and want you to know just um, we are so thankful again that you are here. And we look forward to all that our great God is going to do in and through this ministry this year. Um, just a couple of announcements. You received a big packet of handouts this morning, so don't sweat them. Sarah's going to kind of walk you through. You're going to walk them through all of the handouts, so uh, you don't have to sweat them right now. Um, this Today, after teaching time, you will go to discussion group, and you will meet your discussion group leader, and we'll we'll, um, guide you through that at the end of our time together this morning. And then, um, again, don't forget about the Friday night on the 8th of October. Put that on your calendar if you'd like to go. It'll be a great time together. Um, And I just, I don't know. I hope that you were encouraged the last time we were together by Scott and the message that he um, gave us. Um, what stood out to me for sure, and I've heard this for many years, is when he um, was talking about the glory of God, God's glory, and what that is, um, that it's his, his um, impressiveness, his weightiness, his overwhelmingness his splendor like when you stop and you think about that um, I was impacted by that and I hope that you were too I hope that you were encouraged this week as you opened your Bibles that you as you positioned yourself before his word to drink that you that you wanted to drink in his glory to drink in that impressiveness and to ask him to fill your heart and mind with his glory. To ask him to show you his glory when you open his word. That was just impactful to me. I hope that it was to you. I hope we can keep that before us this year in Wellspring and, and beyond for the rest of our lives because he's worthy. Um, this morning, we will be... Um, Sarah will be teaching a foundational lesson on um, just what, the, how the gospel comes to bear on our lives, and um, and much, much more. But how we how we participate in our sanctification, it's impactful. It's full. It's it's. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe you might feel like you are gonna you'll be hit by a fire hose. You can listen again. Just take it in as much as you can. Go back and listen within the next couple of weeks. And, and, and I mean, that's what I probably will do because there's a lot. But Sarah has labored um, for you, for God's glory. She loves you. I, I don't know how, um, how blessed I really am to have Sarah in my life. And I want you all to know how blessed you are to have Sarah. Um, just, she loves you. She pours into this ministry because she loves you and she loves the Lord. And so, um, thank the Lord for, for Sarah. I do. And we're, we're just incredibly blessed. Um, I think that's it. Let's go before the Lord and, um, then Sarah will come up and teach. (coughs) Father, um, we, we are, um, Humbled by your glory, by your impressiveness, by your splendor, 
Um, may we never grow complacent. May we always want to know and see your glory. We thank you that in your, um, in your great love for us, you saved us. You sent Jesus. He willingly went to a cross on our behalf. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. Um, your cup of wrath was fully poured out on him on our behalf. And now the cup is empty. What amazing truth. And we have your spirit and we have your precious word and your promises. And the, the truth that one day we'll be with you forever and eternity um, is our hope. And so, Lord, I um, pray that we will just we will be eager to learn. We will be alert this morning. We will um, help us to put off any kind of distraction um, that the morning may have brought. Lord, we want to commit this time to you. We pray for Sarah as she uh, teaches us this precious truth. And we pray that you're glorified, and it's in your son's name. And we pray, amen. Clearly, um, you see evidence of God's grace to me in giving me a friend who loves me like that. Um, I'm going to pause this for just a second because I'm going to talk about opening your notebooks. Okay, so the other, the next page I want you to pull out are the back colored pages, not not the big blue pamphlet, but there's a yellow sheet and then some green sheets stapled together. Um, the green sheet is your homework. We'll talk about that at the very end, but you can just put it out of the way right now because you'll have plenty of paper to deal with this lesson. You don't need that in your way. The yellow sheet, um, let me just tell you what that is. So as we go through this lesson, basically we're just going to take a really close look at the gospel today. That's what we're talking about. And as we talk about different aspects of the gospel, we'll be talking about ideas, examples, suggestions for how we could use that aspect of the gospel to shepherd our hearts, how we could pull those truths to mind to help us respond to the difficulties of life and the griefs that come in and the trials and the joys. And um, as I was preparing the lesson, I thought, well, we put almost everything else in the lesson on this chart, but this is probably one of the most useful practical parts of the lesson. And if I were sitting listening, I'd be scribbling feverishly and missing a lot of it. So I just put it in a handout. You can put it away if you want. Um, the ladies on Thursday found it helpful to kind of refer to it when we, they were talking so they could jot notes on that, that, you know, circle things they wanted to remember. So it's just a tool. But I wanted you to know when we get to that part of the lesson, you don't have to scribble feverishly. You've got them in writing, so either put it away, keep it out, whatever is helpful to you. All right. Then the last, no, that's, that's it. That's housekeeping stuff. I think we are ready to jump into our lesson. We'll start with this sheet, the one that just has a place to take notes on the Wellspring purpose and discipline. Um, it's a white sheet that says discipline one, the heart, gospel implications for my heart at the top, and then it says Wellspring purpose. Just a kind of a, almost a blank white sheet. We'll start with that because like um, Jamie told us last time, every week we're going to start with turning our binder over, right? We're going to, we don't want to lose sight of why we're here. So 
we'll get to these other handouts here in just a minute. Okay, so now we've taken care of our housekeeping. I want to pray one more time just to get my heart whew, settled down a little bit, and we'll jump into our Wellspring Purpose and Disciplines. Father, I do again thank you so much for saving me and saving me into your body and bringing me together with these other dear, dear women. Lord, what evidence of your grace that you've been at work in our lives, that we're even here, Lord, 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And Father, we're here because we want to gather together with your people around your word and we want to grow. And I pray that you would be so pleased to do that in our lives today. Father, I pray that um, my words would just be useful to you. Um, Lord, not because they're my words. I pray they would accurately represent your word. Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is effective. I praise you and thank you that you're a gracious God to continue the work that you've begun in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you've got your notebook. We're going to start here each week because we don't want to lose sight of why we're here. So uh, we'll start by looking at the purpose of Wellspring to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Now kind of buried in the middle of that big long sentence is this phrase, gospel transformed lives. That's what we need. That's what we continue to need in the Christian life. And that comes about, you can see in the purpose there, through equipping. And in Wellspring, you'll be equipped through teaching, through resources, through your homework. Um, and it comes about through encouragement. And I really want you to be mindful that that encouragement is going both ways. We want you to be encouraged, and we need you to be an encourager. And that is really a central part of what happens in our discussion group. Praise God, there's a whole room full of us here. And you know that the care and the encouragement that God has for us is not going to come through just a couple of people. It's going to come from all of us looking around and seeing how can we care for the people here. And also coming prepared with our homework so that other people can encourage us can care for us as we share what God's doing in our lives. So the equipping and encouraging is to point us towards shepherding our hearts toward Jesus to meet with God in his word. And as we do that, not only will our lives continue to be transformed by the gospel, but the entire body of Christ will be impacted. The church will be strengthened in its gospel purpose. And that's just so exciting to me that God would use us in each other's lives like that. And then to accomplish that purpose, we have three disciplines. And discipline one is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. So let's start with reviewing what the heart is. Jamie talked about this last time, but I want to review it because it's just so important that we understand what we mean. That by heart, we mean the inner man. It's who we are at a heart level. It's who we are inwardly before God. It's how God sees us. It's where he examines us. It's the real you or the real me. It's not just a part of us. The way the world might think about heart, it's not just our emotions, but it's our whole inner nature. It includes our will. It's where our thoughts come from. You saw in your homework this week that Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. Everything that comes out of us comes from the heart. And so we need to understand the condition of our heart, and we need to understand how to shepherd our heart or how to lead our heart into greater love for God and obedience to him. And that's what Discipline One is all about. And that begins with meeting with God in his word. Now this week in our homework, we looked at a lot of verses about what God's word says about itself. Wasn't that awesome? Were you encouraged? What were some things that stood out to you? You guys have, you took out your blue homework. What, what were some things that stood out to you about God's word that maybe were fresh or you had never seen before? Shout them out. I'm going to warm up here. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple, which is really helpful, being simple. Yes. Yes. Let's hear just a couple more. Somebody else share something. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? (coughs) Yeah. One more. Who has one more? See, just the second week, I don't feel like I can call you out. Just wait. Wait till I get warmed up. When I'm back up here, I'm going to say, Janet, share with me from God's Word. I'm so glad you called them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that eye contact thing. You're in the same thing here if you make in eye Romans contact. 15.4, what was written in earlier times by the prophets was written for our instruction. So it, it says the whole Word of God is so important to us. So that through perseverance in the scriptures, encouragement we might have. Thank you. I will just encourage you. This, you might want to keep these tucked in your Bible and look at those before you get ready to spend time in the Word, especially you're feeling pulled because you feel busy and there's so much you need to do. Just, you know what, I'm going to just read one thing about God's Word. Wait. It enlightens the eyes. I think I need that. I think I have time. I can read something. You know, I can spend some time with the Lord. But Janet, I'm so glad you pointed out what you did. You just were the perfect segue because I wanted to point out to you that as we looked at all these wonderful things that are true about God's Word, these verses were describing all of God's Word, right? It wasn't just the New Testament. It wasn't just the Psalms or the Proverbs. It was all of God's Word. And that's why in Wellspring we use a Bible reading plan that will take us through all of God's Word because it's all profitable. It's all there for our encouragement and instruction. And we do this to help us cultivate this discipline of daily approaching God with humility and with worship as we meet with Him in His Word. Jamie explained this so well last week. And so if you have any questions, any fears, any doubts, um, we want you to come talk to us. I think that, I know I can say for myself and maybe many of us who now love reading through the Word on a regular basis can say we had some obstacles to overcome in getting to the place where we loved it, um, where it seemed really hard to stay focused for four chapters of First Chronicles or <laughs> whatever. You know, those are things, you talk to us, talk to somebody else who... Um, is well established in that discipline of meeting with God in his word every day and reading through God's, all of God's word and ask them, ask them for some things that have been helpful to them in learning to love and benefit from that discipline and cultivate that. Um, just remember our point is not how fast 
we get through our plan. It's not having a check mark next to every box on the date that's on that box. The point is to humbly position ourselves before God in his word so that we can behold his glory. Like Jamie said, that was so impactful. Just reminded, we get to behold the weightiness and the impressiveness of God when we open up his word. Um, and, and then he's so gracious as we do that to transform us, to make us more like Christ. Uh, and so we really want to encourage you and help you to cultivate that daily discipline. We want it to be rich and fruitful, a prayerful time of meeting with God in his word so that you are ready to shepherd your heart all day long. That means you're prepared to fight hard against sin and you're going to fight hard to find your joy in the Lord as you trust him and obey him. So if you haven't already started with that, um, be sure you get started by October 1st. Uh, but I just really want you to know we're here to support and encourage you. It's not, um, we, we want to be this in, the, in for the long haul and be in it for the right reasons. All right, discipline two is the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. As women, we have a spiritual influence in our homes. No matter what our living situation looks like, the question we have to ask ourselves is what kind of influence are we making there? You know, it doesn't matter if we live with roommates, with family members, even if we live alone. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of habits are we cultivating in our homes for the people who live there, for the people who visit there, for the people we may live with someday in the future? Are we looking for ways to bring truth and encouragement from God's word to the people we live with, to the people who visit there? Discipline, too, is about being a woman who understands the value that God places on the relationships in our home and makes those relationships a priority. This kind of woman is committed to caring for her heart with God's word because she understands that caring for her household relationships is an overflow of her walk with the Lord. Our words, our attitudes, our service, especially our availability to those in our home should all reflect that we've met with God in his word and that he is our treasure, that he's our master. Discipline three, then, is ministry. With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So these disciplines help us establish priorities. If we have supplied what our hearts need because we've been drawing near to God in his word and we are caring for our households as an extension of our heart for God, then we will be ready to care for others and serve them. And these disciplines have to overlap. We can't say we won't be involved in ministry, we won't you know, get ourselves messy with what's going on in anybody else's life because we're still working on discipline one and discipline two. I've kind of got to get those figured out before I can do this one. We do need to be caring for others in whatever capacity we can in our season of life. But this helps us give us a priority. We need to be careful to shepherd our own heart with God's word and to be intentional about living that out in our home as we are also reaching out and caring for others with God's word. So together, these disciplines speak into every part of our lives. Okay. So those are the Wellspring Purpose and Disciplines. Now we're going to pull out the big blue chart. 
and I'm just very thankful that we have technology now that we're in our own building and it's up here. Obviously this is too small to read. You've got the chart yourself where you can read what we're going to be covering, but this will just help us orient to what part of the chart we're talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So this chart, it's called the God it's called God's Transformation of Man. It's really just a way for us to look at the gospel. Essentially that's what you have in the chart. Um, so today we're going to look at God's salvation work in the gospel, really up close, and we're going to cover it for a couple reasons. Um, the first is because the gospel is not something that we need merely for salvation. Um, the gospel is the foundation for shepherding our hearts, for leading our hearts. Um, you know, when I was first saved, I understood that uh, my sins were forgiven and that someday I'd go be with Jesus in heaven. So I understood that the gospel affected my past and affected my future. But it was a long time before I understood that the gospel has an enormous impact on my life every day in between. Because the gospel does not just save us. It provides us a new way to live in Christ. And if that's a new idea for you, then just know this lesson should be really, really helpful. Um, another reason is that in any group, even in a church group, there's always the chance that there's someone who has not truly understood the gospel or come to saving faith in Christ. I was in church for years thinking I was a believer, but the testimony of my life is that I was just a slave to my own self-will. And um, I'm thankful for people who kept sharing the gospel with me, even though they thought I was a believer, because God was gracious to save me. Um, so if, as we're going through this lesson, if you start to think, Maybe I haven't really understood what Christ did on the cross, or I really don't think I have turned from self-rule to submit to God's rule in my life, then this lesson should also be really helpful, and we just want you to talk to us. Talk to Jamie or me or your discussion leader, because we want to walk with you <clears throat> and encourage you along the way. So we're going to use this chart to take a really close look at the, what God has done in the gospel, and as we do that, we'll talk about how to shepherd our hearts with these truths. And we'll also talk about why we must shepherd our hearts. And then just a little encouragement or maybe a nudge for those of us who have been in Wellspring before. Much of this will be familiar. I hope it is. Um, but I want to encourage you that as we go through, just to evaluate and ask yourselves, are you using these truths to shepherd your heart? How are you caring for those in your household with gospel truths? Are these truths becoming more deeply rooted in your heart? Are they bearing the fruit of a gospel-transformed life in you? Um, and as we do that, there should be things that are encouraging, where you can see that you have grown since the last time you've heard that, and you should praise God for that and thank Him. And there will also be things um, that should be that are probably challenging, that will challenge us to refocus on the gospel and to want to grow more in that. Um, it was super convicting and super wonderful to soak my heart in the gospel with these um, as I prepared for this lesson again. All right, so for just a moment, we won't do this for the whole time because we don't have that much space, but you also have these worksheets that look just like the chart. Um, if you'd like, you can lay those out underneath the chart for just a minute 
um, just so you can see that they're, they have all the same information on them. Um, now the brochure, the chart, is we may put it in that form because it's easy to fold up and you can keep it tucked in your Bible. It's just a tool you can kind of have it at your fingertips all the time. Um, but you also have the worksheets because there's more space for taking notes and some of us need more space to write. Um, so you choose which one you want to use today. I would encourage you to put one of them away. Um, probably it's easier to pick one or the other. But uh, they're just there for your use. The worksheets can go in your notebook when we're done so that as you go back and review lessons, you've got something there to remind you of this lesson. Um, but the whole point is we just want it to be useful and to be accessible for you. All right. So clearly, there's a lot of information here, like Jamie said. Um, we will not cover everything. If, that, if your heart rate's been racing and you're... <laughs> feeling like you're about to get soaked. Um, we won't cover everything, but we are just using it as a tool to help us take a close look at the gospel. Um, but I want to encourage you that this is a tool, and you, I do want you to dig into it on your own. Um, use it when you're with others. You could encourage people in your small group with it, people in your house with it. You can use it to help shepherd your children, to share the gospel with somebody. Um, it's a tool there to be used. And one suggestion would be to take one bullet, one verse, one section, and use it to prepare your heart for your time of meeting with God and his word, just to remind you of some aspect of the gospel that can be a really fruitful way to use it as well. Um, and then when you've done that, it's fresh on your mind, and it's helpful in shepherding your heart all day and encouraging others as well. Okay, well let's start with looking at these figures, this top row that has the little figures across the top. Um, and so I just want us to look at that first to get an overview of the chart, and then we'll come back and look at some more details for each section. So wherever you see people, that represents a condition of man or a state of man. And that's the word you have on the cover. It says, I think, conditions or states and events and states. Anyway, the word state is on there. And that's what it's talking about is these blue sections that have people over them. Um, so you have a gray guy, and you have a yellow and gray guy, and then there's finally yellow people up here on this side. And each has a description underneath in blue, and that describes the condition. And if you'll notice, the people have an inner man and an outer shell. And that inner man represents what we've been talking about, the heart. It's who we are inwardly before God. And the outer shell represents our physical bodies or our members. It's our eyes, our hands, our mouths. It's all the ways we express what's in our hearts. And then between the figures, you see those gray triangles. And gray triangles represent events, things that happen at a point in time. And this is really important. They're one way, kind of like a turnstile. You know, you can only go from left to right. You can't go back the other way. And that's really good news. Um, so this, this, once, you, once each event has happened, you can never go back. The diagram only goes from left to right. And the descriptions of the events, the gray triangles, um, you have to follow the gray paths down to the bottom, and the descriptions are down at the bottom. And they're just there because that's where they fit on the page. But the correct sequence is seen across the top. Um, all right, so way over on the left, we have the unregenerate man. That's who anyone is apart from Christ. And then the rest of the chart shows what happens to a believer. <clears throat> now, that unregenerate person becomes a believer, a Christian, a follower of Christ, those are all synonymous, um, through the event of regeneration. That's the first triangle. 
Uh, that's conversion, when a person becomes a Christian through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because people like that over on the left only need one thing. They need the gospel. They need to be born again. And then moving to the right, we see those gray and yellow figures. And they represent the condition of the regenerate man, the condition of the believer. This is what the Bible calls the new creation or the new man. This represents our condition right now in the Christian life. And here, the inner man is fundamentally different than what we saw in the unregenerate man. The regenerate man is in the process of changing. So the color is getting more yellow as you move to the right. And then continuing to the right, we have another event, and that's death. The triangle represents the physical death of the believer. And then after death, we have a completely yellow figure, but it doesn't have the outer shell. This one doesn't have the outer shell. Um, so during that time, um, there's no body. The outer man is dead, but the inner man continues to live, and it's all yellow. That means we won't be fighting sin anymore at that point. Praise the Lord. We will be with Jesus. And then there's another gray triangle that represents resurrection or rapture. Those are both events. And then you can see we'll be in a condition with a glorified body. Still no sin. And so we'll talk about each one of those with more detail as we go through the lesson, but that's an overview. Are there any questions just about <coughs> that layout? Anything that's confusing so far? All right, we're 34 minutes in. <laughs> no one's confused, that's good. Okay. Well, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians 2. Um, as you can see, there are lots and lots of references here. I'm a big fan of looking at verses in your Bible but for this lesson, I, we will, I will talk about a lot of lessons. But the verses that I would encourage you to look up in particular, I listed on the board all the way to the left. Um, if that's helpful, sometimes I'm sitting in church and someone says, yada, yada, yada. So turn to that in your Bible. I'm like, ah, what was the reference for that? Okay, so there they are. You don't have to wonder what the reference was. You're free to turn to any as many verses as you want, but if it's helpful to know what the key ones are, I'd like you to look at with me. There they are. So we're going to start with Ephesians 2. So we're going to start with looking at who we were before Christ, who anyone is apart from Jesus. And now if you look at that first blue box at the top, it says the unregenerate man. So these verses describe who a person is without Christ. It describes everybody before the gospel has impacted their lives and made them new. For believers, this was our identity before we were saved. So let's start reading with Ephesians 2. And it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope. We were without God. And that was our condition. Colossians 1.13, right now we're just going to a few of the verses over here in this section, if that's helpful. Colossians 1.13 says we were in the domain of darkness. We were under the authority and the power of darkness. We were under the control of darkness. And that darkness blinded us 
to our lostness, to the danger we were in. Titus 3.3 says, We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived. That's why we didn't understand how lost we were. We were foolish and we were deceived. Titus continues, We were enslaved of various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Sin ruled every part of who we were. Romans 1.30 says we were God-haters. You might want to write in Romans 1.30 on your chart. That's not one you have there. But it says we were God-haters. Now, the rest of these references are so weighty. I know they'll be powerful for you to spend time looking at on your own. But we're going to summarize this unregenerate condition by looking here at these key descriptions of the old condition. We were in an unmixed condition. We were unmixed in regards to death. We were not mostly dead, as the old movie says it. We were completely dead. There wasn't a trace of spiritual life in us. We were unmixed in regard to hostility toward God. There was not any trace of us that wanted to honor him. We were unmixed in our love for our own self-trust, and we hated God's rule. And because of this, we were, um, this is the last description in that section, we were under God's wrath and judgment. There's a penalty for sin. That's what we've just seen. We were hostile toward God. He's the creator. He's the rightful ruler of all things. How could God be just and not punish what we were? All that we've seen here about who we were apart from Christ. What you made of yourself, what I made of myself, what we had earned, what we loved. How could he not judge us? God has holy, righteous wrath against sin. There's a penalty, a judgment that will come, and it has to be paid. And for those who never turn to Christ in repentance and faith... They will bear that wrath themselves for all eternity in hell. And that is what every believer used to be. So how does that help us shepherd our hearts? Well, first and most, these truths help us shepherd our hearts to God in worship, in humility, in thanksgiving. And these are some of the things you have on that yellow sheet, if that's helpful. I mean, how amazing that he would save a wretch like me. Remembering who we were magnifies the greatness of God's love for us in the gospel, and that will fuel our love for him and our desire to draw near to him through his word and to obey him. These truths are also a tremendous help in shepherding our heart to extend mercy when others sin, especially when they sin against us. You know, rather than being personally offended by their sin, we can remind ourselves of our own great sin from which God has rescued us. And we can be grieved over the sin, but patient and gracious and compassionate towards the sinner, forgiving towards the sinner. And when we shepherd our hearts in that way, we might even be God's instrument to help rescue the sinner, to call them to repentance. And finally, we can let these awful truths of what a person is apart from Christ drive us to proclaim the love of God and the gospel to the lost. 
So when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we shepherd our hearts, we need to remember this. It's like taking a look in the rearview mirror, not forgetting where we've come from, that we were dead in our sins. We were without hope. We were under God's wrath and judgment. We don't want to forget what God rescued us from. But thankfully, that's not all. Now we get to look at God's answer, his solution to that condition. We're going to look at regeneration. You see the triangle up here? It's described right down here. All right, now rather than covering every point in this section point by point, I just want to speak in general terms for a few minutes. Actually, I'll be talking generally about what's in this section right here, the event regeneration components. Um, but then when we're looking at uh, a more specific, looking at a section more specifically point by point, I'll, I'll point that out to you. So how does a person ever escape from that condition of death and rebellion towards God that we just looked at? Well, God regenerates us. Now, regeneration means new birth. God's solution for the terrible mess that we had made of ourselves in that dead, unmixed condition is not just to clean us up, not just to fix us up. He starts over. He causes us to be born again once and for all, irreversibly. He gives us new life in Christ. He makes us into a new creation. He crucifies the old man. He kills what we were before. Isn't that amazing? And we can never go back to that. He purchased us out of slavery to sin, out of our rebellion, out of our self-rule, and he redeems us with the precious blood of Jesus so that our sins are forgiven, forgiven forever. God does all of that. <clears throat> Romans 1.17 says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Romans 1.17 is not on your list either. You can jot that one down also, Romans 1.17. But in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he declares us to be righteous on the basis of faith alone. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Isn't that amazing? He adopts us as his own children. He becomes our father, and he is not like any earthly father, but he is a father whose intentions toward us are always and only kind. And this is so important. God's answer for the horrible mess we were in is that he unites us with his son. Our huge problem before is that we were without Christ, and we loved it that way. We loved it that way. But God's solution is to unite us with Christ, thereby allowing us to share in all of the benefits and all of the riches that result from Christ's obedient life and his death and his resurrection. Our condition was so bad that God invested the most precious thing he had. He gave his son and he unites us with his son. And that is such a powerful work of God that God says we can never go back to what we were without Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. They're gone. We cannot lose our salvation. And we cannot go back to what we were without Christ. Do we still sin? Yes. And we'll talk about why in a minute. But a believer cannot go back to being enslaved Sin will never again be our master. This is God's solution to what we were. And this is key. You can see this at the top of the gray section right here. This is all accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one set of fingerprints on regeneration, and they are God's. So how does this come to be true about a person? Well, at the bottom right here, you see it, that it says appropriated through repentance and faith. Now, appropriate means to take possession of. Salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ is taken possession of through repentance and faith. It's the call that Jesus made early in his ministry in Mark 1, 14 and 15. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So we have to repent. And we have to believe. Now, to repent means to turn away from a life of sin and self-rule and humility. We turn to God agreeing that he is the only rightful ruler of our lives and that our only hope for forgiveness and for salvation is for God to accept Christ's death on the cross as payment for the judgment that we deserve. And we have to believe that for ourselves. We have to entrust ourselves to God's grace in the gospel. And it's something God brings about. He causes us to be regenerated so that we do repent and we do believe that what Christ accomplished on the cross is everything we need to be made right with God. And that's how we get God through Jesus' death in our place. Again, over that first section, there's a couple of summaries of the gospel, and that's one of them. We get God through Jesus' death in our place. So that's the event of regeneration, and it has only one set of fingerprints on it, only God's. But what difference does that make? Well, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? I want you to look with me now at the regeneration event benefits over here. Um... You can just follow along as I read. I want you to let these soak in. These are just a tiny little sample of the benefits of regeneration, but it is so good for us to hear this and to know this and to believe this because it makes a huge difference in how we live out the Christian life and how we respond to the circumstances of life. These are unchangeable, objective realities, and they are secured by God for the believer at conversion. So if you're a believer, you are loved by God. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Scott talked about that last time. The Holy Spirit is at work to transform us and make us more like Jesus. We're also indwelt by Christ. You're a member of Christ's own body. And as believers, we are members of one another. You have confident access to God on his throne of grace. You're under grace, not under law. You've been saved from God's wrath. God's wrath towards you has been completely satisfied through Jesus' death on the cross. You're free from condemnation. 
You cannot be separated from Christ. You can't be separated from his love for you. You have peace with God. You've been reconciled to him through Christ. Oops. You have the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And this is all because of what Christ has done on the cross. This is what happens when a person is saved. This is salvation, when God gives new life to a sinner and she repents and she believes the gospel. So how do we shepherd our hearts with these glorious realities? I just want to ask you right now, what's your heart doing after just taking this look at all that God has done for you? Thankfulness, joy, peace, comfort, relief maybe? Those are all ways that these truths can help us shepherd our hearts. What if we're tempted to think God doesn't really care? God doesn't really love me. Would it turn us away from such wrong thinking to come soak our hearts in the reality that we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and that we're forgiven? What if we're tempted to think our sin's really not that bad? soften your heart to look at the Savior on the cross being your substitute, my substitute, bearing God's wrath against that very sin that we're tempted to excuse. These truths strengthen us to flee from sin and to run to Christ. What if we preach to our hearts that we're adopted, not only God's child, but a sister with many sisters and brothers in Christ? Do you think that would help us treasure the body of Christ? our time with others in small group, our opportunities to serve others. You know, when sin seems overpowering, we need to shepherd our heart with the truth that the old man is crucified. It's dead, and we are no longer slaves to sin. It's not our master. We have this glorious Savior as our master now, our good master who enables us to walk in newness of life. See, every detail of our regeneration helps us shepherd our heart by aligning our thinking with the truth of God's word and what God has done for us in the gospel. The more we saturate our hearts and our minds with the salvation work of God, the more we will worship him and the more we will strive to walk in holiness of life for his glory. All right, we've talked about what God has done for us in the gospel and how we can shepherd our heart with remembering both who we were apart from Christ as well as all that God alone did for us in regeneration. And the next thing is to talk about the regenerate man. You can turn to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll be reading that in just a second or two. So all of us who are believers, if you look right here, it says we're in the process of being made righteous. Over here you can see we were unrighteous. And then we've been declared righteous, and now we are being made righteous. And it is a process. You can see there it says the process of progressive renewal. Um, this is the condition of a believer. And if you uh, see up at the top, you see the three figures. And as we mentioned before, <coughs> they're changing from gray to yellow as you move to the right. And that represents the process of sanctification as we're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Now, when we start off as believers, 
um, you see in the figures, the guy on the left is a little more gray than he is yellow. And that's kind of what we look like when we first get saved. Um, but as we grow in Christ, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what we mean by the gospel-transformed life. We're becoming more and more holy, more and more godly. Um, what's coming out of us is changing as our inner man, our heart, is being renewed. Now notice that under the figures it says right up here, accomplished by God once and for all, accomplished once and for all by God, but being renewed day by day in progressive sanctification. And then 2 Corinthians 4.16 is one of the references under the pictures, and you can follow along with that with me if you like. And it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. So did you notice that word renewed? The believer is in a renewable condition. We're being renewed. That condition over on the first page could never be renewed. There was nothing to renew. It was dead. But this new creation needs to be renewed, and that renewal is a process. So if you're a Christian, you are being changed. Now, Scott said last time that the Holy Spirit is at work transforming us. It started when you got saved, and it will end when you take your very last breath on this earth. Now remember, regeneration has only God's fingerprints on it. That was all God's work. But here, as we look at progressive sanctification or progressive renewal, there are two sets of fingerprints. There's God's and ours, because we participate in progressive sanctification. We have to be really careful not to ever... Let our thinking get off track and think that progressive sanctification doesn't take effort on our part. God is active. This is still God's work, but it's his work in which we participate. He gives us a role. In the header to this blue panel, you see that the bold words there, the regenerate man. And then under that, it says mixed condition. And Scott used that term last time as well. But let's talk about what we mean by that. So it can be helpful to think about the believer's condition from two vantage points, our position and our practice. Now, the position we have now before God as believers is not mixed. That's not what we're talking about when we say mixed condition. Our position before God is perfect. He has declared us to be righteous. And that's what we saw in the regeneration event. But when we consider our practice, our walk with Christ, it is not perfect. It's mixed. Um, Though we are in a perfect position, we are imperfect in practice. So on the one hand, we find ourselves with new desires for Jesus. We love him, and we're able to obey him now in ways that we never were before. And we grow, and we become more like Christ. And that is nothing at all like what we were before. And yet, in this condition, we find that there is still indwelling sin. Now, another reference for you to just write in to add to your chart is Proverbs 28, 26. If this is not a verse you know, you are going to want to become very familiar with its truth and teach it to your children. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. See, we are still in a sinfully weak, 
faltering condition in which our hearts are not trustworthy. Our hearts are not trustworthy. This is a new condition that's different than anything we ever were before. Now on the chart, the first section heading says, the mixed condition of the regenerate man right here is characterized by. So let's look at this and see more of these contrasting qualities of the believer's mixed condition. Strengths and weaknesses all mixed together. So we'll take the first three together. They're all referring to what we've already seen in the regeneration event. So the mixed condition of the believer is characterized by the unchanging realities accomplished at regeneration, the pervading benefits of regeneration, and a new identity in Christ. These are all true for the believer at the moment that regeneration takes place, and they will always be true for the believer. And then next we see that the mixed condition of the regenerate man is characterized by freedom from slavery to sin. We also talked about that in the regeneration event. Next we see that the believer is characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now as believers, God's Holy Spirit indwells us and produces his fruit in us. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This fruit is more and more evident in our lives as we are renewed, as we behold God in his word, and as we walk with Christ. We were nothing like that before. And this didn't make it onto our yellow sheet, but it's really helpful to remember this when we're shepherding our hearts, when we're battling sin, that by God's grace, by his Holy Spirit, I can love. I can be patient. I can be gentle. I can exercise self-control because that is the fruit of God's Spirit who lives in me. Next, we see that the regenerate man is characterized by good works. Titus 2.14 tells us that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are now zealous for good deeds. See, our deeds used to reflect our sinful condition and motivations, whereas now, because of God's work of regeneration, they reflect his work in us. They reflect his work in us. Notice where the good deeds fit. They're after this. There weren't any good deeds involved in the regeneration, were there? Nothing we could add to what God did here. But now he saves us into a condition where he prepares good works for us to do. Um, next, we see that the believer has the ability to obey God. Just as sin characterized our old life, so obedience now characterizes our new life. An obedience that's motivated by love. Write in another verse now, John 14, 21. John 14, 21. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So the believer obeys God and the believer loves God. These are all ways in which the believer is completely different from what she was before she was saved. These are new qualities and new abilities that are true about us when we come to Christ and we grow in them as we walk with Jesus. And yet, on, this is on the chart also, there is still in us a proneness to sin. Remember, sin is not our master. 
But Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we are still easily entangled by sin. We can still be deceived by sin. And so since we have indwelling sin in this mixed condition, there's also, the next bullet, ongoing repentance. See, believers do struggle with sin, but believers repent. We grow in our ability to see sin's offensiveness to God, and we turn away from that sin back to God. Now, there are many more here on this list, but that gives us a good idea of what characterizes the believer. We're new creations, we've been made right with God, but we still live in sinful flesh. We're still capable of great sin and great error. And so moving to the next heading right here, the mixed condition of the regenerate man requires um, God's relentless transformation of the believer as well as our own diligent pursuit of holiness. Both of these put together. Now, Philippians 2, 12, and 13 puts these together when Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our diligent pursuit of holiness. And verse 13 says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is God's relentless transformation of the believer. It's so important to understand that both of these characterize this mixed condition we're in. The whole reason we even can pursue holiness is that God is at work in us. And that is what we must have in this mixed condition. We must have God's relentless work to transform us into the image of his son. And because he's at work in us, we must diligently pursue holiness. We must be diligent to meet with God in his word because the word is one of his primary means of grace to renew us. And so we must let his word transform our minds and our hearts so that we're ready to think rightly and live rightly, to go out each day trusting him and obeying him as faithful, beloved children who've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Okay, next we see that the mixed condition of the believer also requires that we be wary about indwelling sin. Now, the person without Christ, unregenerate man, all the way over on the left, that person is not concerned with indwelling sin. They're not concerned with their offense to God. And when we die, and we go to be with Jesus, like we'll talk about over here, uh, we won't be concerned about indwelling sin there either because there won't be any in that condition. Indwelling sin will be gone. But we're in a really unique condition right here in the Christian life where we are now. In this mixed condition, we can be and we must be very cautious and alert to indwelling sin. You know, that is such a motivation to shepherd our hearts. Understanding what God's word says about our weakness should tear away any false sense that we can grow or be a useful instrument in his hands without seeking him diligently in his word. At the same time, we can be encouraged that as we do that, God is the one who is faithful to continue the work he's begun in us and that he will help us grow. He will bring forth the fruit in our lives. All right. So um, before we move on and we look at how we can shepherd our hearts with future gospel realities, we need to think about why we are in a mixed condition. 
Do you ever think about that? I wouldn't have been mind being saved right into this. That seems a good idea to me. But God tells us why we, he, on one hand, he's lo- loved us so lavishly in the gospel. He's completely transformed us. The old man is gone, and yet we're still so weak, still so prone to sin. But God does tell us why. If you should still, I think, still be in 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. You can add that reference to your worksheet as well. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. And it says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. So he's referring to Genesis 1 in the creation account. He's saying that it's the creator who is the one who has shown in our hearts. And then he tells us why. It's to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So God has shown into our hearts so that we would understand the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about the gospel. That's regeneration. But, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So, we are earthen vessels with a treasure inside. That's a mixed condition. Now, why did God do it this way? Verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. See, God designed it in this way to display the surpassing greatness of his power. God, in his wisdom, determined that in saving us, that he would put us in a mixed condition where we still sin so that as we draw near to him and depend on him, his power is seen in a way that it never would have been displayed had he saved us straight into glory. So the fact that we're fighting against sin shows us daily how badly we need Jesus. And that's so much better than when we couldn't see our need for him and we didn't even want to please him. So in the midst of battling sin, we can actually be encouraged that we're battling. And God is using that battle to make us more like his son. So the fight is evidence of new life. So let's just ask, How are you doing in your fight? Are you beholding God's glory in his word, in the gospel? Are you feeding your love for God, repenting of sin? Are you fighting hard for joyful, wholehearted, God-glorifying obedience? I just want to encourage you, press on. Press on. God is at work in us, and he has equipped us for this fight, and you're in the right place. Because the purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Now there's one more section on the chart, the heavenly man. Now these future salvation realities, what lies ahead, are God's grace. The fact that he's revealed this to us is God's grace to strengthen us to persevere in our walk with Christ right now. So we'll look at the heavenly man over here on the right side of the chart. Now you can go ahead and turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. One day, we will live in another kind of unmixed condition. Now where else were we in an unmixed condition? Back before we knew Christ, right? 
But we will be unmixed again when we die or when we are raptured. The heavenly man is in an unmixed, sinless condition. Big difference. He, ha- um, let's see, we, okay, sit, I'm sorry, heavenly man is, has been made righteous. His growth and holiness is complete. It's done. Now at the bottom down here, you see three great triangles. Death, rapture, and resurrection. And they each have a description underneath. Now, underneath the description of death, you see that death for the believer is departing the land of the dying and going home to be with the Lord. We will never again be separated from Jesus in any way. Wow. Moving to the right, we have the rapture. That's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, and that reference is on the chart. If we are living when Christ returns, we get to skip death. Christ will come and catch believers up in the air to be with him. Our bodies will be instantly transformed into sinless, glorified bodies. Our inner man will be completely righteous. And then the resurrection, this last great triangle, is for believers who have died. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will receive new, physical, glorified bodies, and those new bodies will be reunited with their completely sanctified holy, sinless inner man. And 1 Corinthians 15 describes those new resurrection bodies. These weak, perishable bodies that we have now will be gone, and in their place we will have imperishable, glorious bodies that never die and that never sin. We will be perfectly suited for praising and serving and enjoying God forever with absolutely no taint of sin we'll be home with the lord and will resemble jesus now those some of those last couple things i said are in the bullets here in this box so now let's read first john 3 verse 2 it says beloved now we are children of god and it has not appeared as yet what we will be we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is isn't that amazing we will see jesus we'll experience ultimate conformity to his likeness that is an amazing hope and understanding something about this future hope christ coming again raising us from the dead giving us glorified bodies that helps us think rightly about our pursuit of godliness right now Look at verse 3. It says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we're going to see Christ face to face. We're going to be like him. And so what does that mean? Well, if our hope is to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus, and that's going to impact how we live right now. We're going to strive to be pure right now as we wait for that day. Now, on the yellow sheet, you see more suggestions for how these future gospel realities can help us shepherd our hearts. You will see that some verse, you'll see some verses that point us to these truths um, to encourage us in our trials, and others um, inspire us to persevere and to be steadfast in our service to the Lord. So, spending some time with this yellow resource will really help you grow in using the gospel day by day. You'll have, you have a homework question in which you'll look at that. Um, I also want to encourage you to add to it. This is just to get you started. Um, whatever your particular struggle is, God's word is robust and sufficient, and the gospel is powerful to help you 
battle with that, to deal with that, to face that. So as you're in the Word and you see gospel realities that will help you um, add them to that yellow sheet. Okay. Well, that brings us to our conclusion, which is why we must shepherd our hearts. So if we look at this chart and ask, where on the chart does a person shepherd their hearts? Well, not on the left, right? Because that guy's dead. He has no desire and no ability to shepherd his heart. And over here on the right, this person doesn't shepherd their heart either because at this point we will be completely free from sin. We'll be completely righteous at that point. And there's no need for heart shepherding in the heavenly man. But right here in the middle, that's where we are now, we saw that as regenerate people we are in a mixed condition. And that is why we must shepherd our hearts. We are not what we used to. Praise God. We are not what we used to be. Praise God. We have new affections for God. We're able to obey him, but we are weak and prone to sin. And that is why we start with discipline one, the heart. When you look at the beauty of the truths we've examined today, uh, what believer wouldn't want to draw near to God, right? I mean, we have an amazing God. He's accomplished for us an amazing salvation. And yet, we're in a mixed condition. We're weak. We can let our hearts grow cold. We can easily, in the moment, convince ourselves that something else is more pressing. So even when our hearts are not eager to draw near to God and his word, we open our Bibles anyway. We have to. We must. And we pray. We say, Lord, I must have you. Warm my heart. Settle my mind. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. Prepare me to be a useful instrument in your hand this day. Like Scott encouraged us last week, Lord, show me your glory so I can live for your glory all day long in my home, in my church, and every part of my life. All right, let's pray. Father, I am overwhelmed by the grandeur of your plan of salvation. It is breathtaking, it is humbling, and I pray that you would let these truths truly take root in our hearts and bear much fruit, that we would love you more, that we would be more useful to you, and that we would be ready to meet you face to face. Oh, Lord Jesus, we long for that day when you will come and take us home to be with yourself. Grant us grace to grow grow and treasure you more. Father, as we uh, get ready to dismiss to our discussion groups, I pray that you would be with each group, each woman. Lord, um, right now we, we almost might feel like we just need to go sit and think about all that we've looked at and all that we've heard. Uh, but Lord, this is a time that you've given us together to process, to share. I pray that it would be rich. You would use this time to help the truths from last week, the truths from this week, just to be more established in how we think and how we live, that we would go forth and um, live out being your aroma wherever we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just really briefly, I want you just pull out your homework. I want to take just a quick minute. It's green this week, I think. Now, every week at the very top, it's really easy to skip over, but you're going to see some encouragement 
for how to prepare your heart to do your homework. Um, some encouragement to look at a verse, to pray, to um, just prepare your heart and your mind for this time of, of doing the homework. And I really want to encourage you that, that that's just so important, whether you're coming to God's Word or you're coming to your homework. Um, you want God to be the one who's your teacher. And, and this homework is for your benefit. It's to help these lessons take root in your heart. And it's also to prepare you to be an encouragement to the other ladies so that you're ready to share with them. So take the time to pray and get the most out of this as a tool. Um, you can see normally our homework is just front and back of one sheet of paper. It's longer this time um, primarily because we put we printed out some things in here just to make it easy that they'd all be right there in front of you. But it's not really that many questions. Um, I want to just give you some encouragement, especially if you're new to Wellspring, um, some ideas for how to work this into your life. Um, this is just a plug for my favorite reading plan. I love the Discipleship Journal plan, and one of the reasons is that you only read 25 days a month out of you know your reading plan. So that gives me a couple days a month I do my Wellspring homework in my time with the Lord. So that's one way to do it. You could do it on Saturday when Wellspring is not meeting. Just get up at seven, you know, be up and do your homework at 7 o'clock instead of being here. Um, sometimes I've done it. This has been helpful. I fold it up and put it in my Bible. And then as I get ready to spend time with the Lord, I might just read a question, not necessarily answer it right then, but I can kind of mull it over all day and then the next day come back and jot down the things I want to put. Um, so I just want to encourage you to think about, make a plan for how you're going to do that, because it'll just be that much more meaningful. Been there and done that late Friday night, yes, sometimes even early Saturday morning, which is just ridiculous, <coughs> doing my homework. And that is just always so silly. God is gracious, and he teaches us no matter when we do it, but um, it's always been more encouraging when I've had a plan to think about it throughout the week. So um, just a few ideas there, and I think that's it about the homework. So we'll dismiss to discussion groups. Uh, please, when you're done discussing, please turn in your blue homework to your discussion leader. If you're a discussion leader, just trade with your other discussion leader. Um, please finish at 9, like, you know, by 8.55, be looking at the clock and start winding down the discussion so you can finish right at 9. And then reset. please feel free to set up the chairs in your room however is comfortable. I mean, I didn't go and set the rooms for you, so you move the chairs so that you like them. But then put them back the way you found them. And if you put anything in the trash, just take that trash and put it in the big dumpster that's in the kitchen when you're done. Um, again, remember, we're here to encourage each other. Think about how you can be listening to each other and praying for each other, encouraging each other uh, through the rest of the week. Um, and then just like Jamie mentioned last time, we just always need to be reminding, encouraging each other. This, it's so important for us to be sharing, being transparent with one another, but we want to make sure that focus is what God's doing in our own hearts um, and not digress into talking about what God, you wish God was doing in somebody else's heart maybe. <laughs> um, that's just awfully tempting to do because we're in a mixed condition. So just a reminder as we go to discussion group, let's talk about what God's doing in our own hearts, flatten out the details on everybody else. So just because you might not know who your discussion leader, I mean, you probably know the name because they've contacted you, but you might not know what they look like. Um, I'll just dismiss group by group. Jamie. Oh, thank you. There are clocks in most of the rooms. However, I've had the experience of finding out that they are not all working. They don't all have working batteries. So make sure you keep an eye on your clock or your phone um, and don't trust the clock unless you double check that it's accurate. All right, so I'll have Karis and Diana stand up.
So that's Paris and that's Diana. Um, they're gonna, if you're in their group, go ahead and follow them out into the hall. They'll lead you down to the room where you're going to meet. Feel free to grab another snack on your way. Grab some water. <laughs> well, I walked in, there was two tables. I thought, oh, I'll stop here and get something. <laughs> All right, our next group, we have Teresa and Beth. Beth is not here today. Teresa, do you want to stand up? There's Teresa. If you're in Teresa's group, just follow her out into the hall, and she'll lead you to the meeting room. It's the, almost the next room down here on the left has a sign by this is meeting room. Okay. <laughs> All the way on the, in the back on the right. 